Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I'll be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, how are we doing? Caleb, you know, it's been another good week. Uh, this is my third week with students at my new school, and uh, they have been total rock stars. I am consistently impressed by them, and uh, being able to teach in a county that has produced Penn State uh, superstars, the likes of Deshaun Hamilton and Trace McSorley, is always uh, pretty cool to be there, and, and just thinking that one of these students could become the next great Penn State legend. What's new in your world? Uh, you know, not too much. Good to have football back. Having the first full weekend of college in the NFL was great to have. Um, so yeah, it's great just to have football on all weekend now. Yeah, we'll have to get together like one Sunday because, you know, the obviously love my son. Zeke is awesome. We play a lot, but, you know, I, I typically am not allowed to have games on all day because we want to limit his screen time. So maybe we can get our wives together and, since they are not as big of football fan, well, Becca is a Becca likes Eagles, obviously, and, and other football teams. But mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say not as big as football fans as us. Correct. And uh, they can do something fun with the kids, like crafts and whatever. And you know, we can help too. But you know, just give me football. That's all I want. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, Caleb, why don't we go ahead and dive into some news? It's kind of a late news week so far, and and of course, as I say this on a Tuesday night, I'm ready for like hammer to drop Wednesday, uh, Thursday, Friday. But as of right now, the two big pieces of news: first one, five star LSU running back John Emery was ruled academically ineligible for the season. Caleb, you got to study. Yep. Yeah. Apparently he took a class over the summer to try to get academically eligible for the season. The NCAA has ruled against him for that. So as of now, he's miss, going to miss the whole season. Not a great start to the season for LSU. So um, I, I'm not sure how good John Emery is, but they haven't had a good running back since Clyde Edwards Elayer left two seasons ago. So seems like it may be a big loss for them. Yeah. What year is John Emery? Is he a... If he was taking classes over the summer, he probably is a, uh, at least a redshirt freshman, if not a sophomore. Yeah, I mean, like I just don't remember as a student. I mean, obviously, like my courses pushed me, but I felt like if you went to class, you studied, you worked hard, you know, yet it wasn't too in- incredibly challenging. Uh, especially, you know, like I was a history major, so as as long as I was, you know, keeping up with the history stuff working on the papers and all, but I mean, you're a math dude and you know, you went to college at first as a physics major, right? Correct. Yeah. So what are your, what's your take on that on the other side of the, of academia? Yeah. I mean, I understand there's doing your schoolwork and being a football player or any athlete for that matters. There's a lot of hours that go into both, but at this point you're, you know, you're still have to be a student athlete. So you have to deal with both of those. You got to, be able to do one in order to do the other and that's how these things work and so hopefully he gets his academics in order and can continue his football career yeah john emory is a junior so uh definitely a, a loss in potential leadership as well uh, next bit of uh news to talk about is usc usc we're gonna talk about this in a moment but uh you know spoiler alert they had a really tough loss 
on Saturday in a game that they probably should have won. And there's been enough of these games now that USC has decided, you know, we've had enough of this, and they have decided to fire uh, Clay Helton. Clay Helton, you know, some of you may remember him as the USC coach whenever uh, Penn State's magical season back in 2016-17 ended with a Rose Bowl loss. He was 46-24 and in seven seasons. Uh, Caleb, are you surprised by this firing, or were you thinking that's nah, a long time coming? I'm only surprised because USC seems to cry wolf with Clay Helton being on the hot seat every year. It seems like every year right around this time, USC has a bad loss. Clay Helton's on the hot seat, and then he somehow magically finishes out the year, gets a gets like a contract extension every couple of years, and you know makes it on to the next season. So I do kind of feel bad for Clay Helton in this in this spot. Um, I'm not, I'm sure he's not like a great coach. If he was a great coach, USC would be in the college football playoff pretty much every year. Right. But, um, it feels bad to be on under that much scrutiny. Um, he's, he's a good coach, not a great coach. And it's, it, I'm sure he'll find another job somewhere, but having to deal with all the rumors of being fired every single season is probably not a fun place to be at. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll be honest. I, from what I've been reading and hearing, I'm not thinking Michael Leach is going to last the season. And if he does, it will not, he won't last the off season at Mississippi state uh, looking like his offensive scheming isn't working for them. So I'm wondering if Clay Helton's just going to pack up, move to Mississippi and, uh, and coach on from there. But I mean, I guess we'll see what happens with that. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on where a landing destination for Clay Helton could be? Uh, we'll see. I mean, a lot of, Former head coaches have had success going to Alabama, becoming a coordinator, and uh, getting back into the head coaching ranks. And maybe if Bill O'Brien is off to take a head coaching job this offseason, maybe Clay Hilton replaces him as offensive coordinator at Alabama. Yeah, and so speaking of that, it is possible that Clay Hilton and Bill O'Brien could switch roles. Bill O'Brien is a contender for the job. Uh, the rumor mill is saying uh, others are saying it's Luke Fickle, head coach of Akron's job, to, or I'm sorry, of Cincinnati. Uh, job to turn down, and um, one that I just saw on Bleacher Report today, Eric Bieniemy. Caleb, I think that would be. I really like Eric Bieniemy. I think it is a tragedy that he has not been named a head coach somewhere, um, because for all intents and purposes, this dude is is coordinating a great offense. Even if it's largely Andy Reid calling the plays, Eric's doing a good job getting the offense ready, uh, and so I, I definitely would think that one would be fascinating. Um, but I do want to address one, and that is James Franklin. Every stinking year, USC, if Clay Hilton gets fired, Franklin would be the contender. You know, so-and-so got fired. James Franklin would be the contender. Caleb, these rumors need to stop. <laughs> yeah, Franklin just signed a contract extension not too long ago, so I know USC has the money to do the buyout if it would be possible, but it would be pretty expensive for USC to get James Franklin down there. And if you keep hearing these rumors, if Clay Hilton was fired, you know, three years ago, James Franklin would be one of the leaders for the job. Don't you think James Franklin would have taken that job by now at this point? If he could have had the job, say, three years ago, don't you think he would have done it? And maybe he's grown tired of Penn State over the last three years, but I don't think so. I think he's happy where he is. This is, you know, his home state. He's went to school in the state of Pennsylvania, so I think he likes it around here. I know you obviously got much better weather down in Southern California, but I think James Franklin likes where he is right now. Maybe that changes at the end of the season if we Penn State goes on and has a nosedive of the season. Maybe that changes in three years or something else. But for right now, James Franklin, I think, is pretty secure in his job at Penn State. 
Yeah, and I feel like commentators don't understand, and, and it's something that you pointed out, just how much Franklin wanted this Penn State job. You know, he was a quarterback at East Stroudsburg University, and then whenever he got the job at Penn State, he was very open. Like, this was his dream job. And so, generally speaking, if I hear a commentator say, oh, Franklin's the contender for USC, I automatically assume they have no idea what they're talking about whenever it comes to, like, coaching changes. It's it's ridiculous. I don't think Franklin's going to take the USC job. Don't believe it for a second. Uh, I could definitely see it going to Fickle. Uh, you know, as of right now, the highest-ranked team in Ohio is Cincinnati. Holy cow, who would have thought mm-hmm. that would have happened? But it has. And so I could definitely see Luke Fickle taking that. Uh, I personally would like to see Eric Bieniemy get a head coaching job either at the collegiate or at the NFL level. And so if this is his uh, his next step up to do so, I'm, I'm all for that as well. Yep, agreed. So let's go ahead and, and let's talk about this game for USC, Caleb. And, uh, you know, this was this was a uh, midnight oil burner, one of those late pack-a-million uh, pack teams. You want to break it down for us? Yeah, Stanford upsets number 14, USC, 42-28, and it was not even that close as Stanford led in this one 42-13 in the fourth quarter. I think Keaton Slavis was benched at some point in this game, rightfully mm-hmm. so, as he had uh, multiple turnovers in this game. Yeah, USC, this isn't quite the upset when they were when Stanford was 42-point underdogs to USC back in the Andrew Luck days at Stanford, <laughs> but um, this was a pretty bad loss for USC. Stanford got beat up pretty bad by Kansas State, who's a middling Big 12 team uh, in their opening game. So yeah, this was a pretty bad loss, and Clay Helton, like I said, I don't know if he deserved to be fired at this exact point, but it's uh, I think it's fair for him to be gone after this bad loss. Yeah, and you know, you look at this game too. USC controlled, dominated time of possession, thirty-eight to twenty-nine. So they had about ten more minutes, but penalties are what killed them. They had nine penalties for one hundred nine yards in this game, and you know, whenever you compare that to the twenty-seven yards of penalties that Stanford had, there's there's a free football length that you're giving up. Um, whenever it came to third down efficiency, neither team was particularly spectacular either. What really helped Stanford out was their yards per play were almost two yards higher than USC. So they were able to make the, these longer plays, create these more sustained drives. Uh, even though, again, whenever it comes to first downs, USC had seven more first downs than Stanford. Yet, you know, they they don't come away with that win. And this this game had all the feels of an upset. Whenever it comes to this game, and you know, maybe it's just because of the Andrew Bi- Andrew Luck bias. I almost always pick whoever is expected to lose this game because of how it works. I mean, I really liked, believed in Keen Slovis, and I, and I still do. I think he can still be a really good quarterback. But uh, this was not the this was not the game you want to have. No, definitely not. All right, let's go on to our next upset of the weekend as Arkansas runs all over number 15, Texas, 40-21. to Arkansas had 333 yards rushing and four touchdowns in this game. That comes out to 7.1 yards per carry. Uh, Hudson Card, the true freshman quarterback for Texas, was benched in favor of Casey Thompson. And Casey Thompson, it was revealed, will also start this upcoming weekend for Texas. So Hudson Card lasted all about a game and a half before being <laughs> benched here. And uh, this may be a rude awakening for Texas in their upcoming move to the SEC. Yeah, and so do you know what the deal was with um, with Hudson Card? You know, he, he completed about 50% of his passes 
did he have fumble issues? Because I know he didn't throw any picks. Yeah, I think he fumbled the ball once or twice. Okay. And yeah, Texas just wasn't scoring. Um, I think they had about 100, 130 yards of offense in the first half, which isn't terrible considering Penn State had 40 yards of offense in their first half against Wisconsin. But not great. Um, yeah, it does seem like a little bit of a quick switch. If Hudson Card worked hard hard this offseason to take that starting job, it must have been a pretty close battle if they're willing to move on to Casey Thompson this fast. Yeah, I would I would guess so as well. Um, you know, I guess this means that Texas still is not back. Um, you know, I guess in like three years they'll be back, Caleb. But is this going to be the fate of Texas in the SEC? I mean, they just got their first taste of uh, – of SEC football in ever like since the announcement has been made that they'll be going there. Yeah, I was uh, when the when this announcement was made, I feared that they would become somewhat like Tennessee has recently, just be a mm-hmm. middling team in the SEC. Um, they're clearly going to be a step down from the Alabamas and Oklahomas. I don't know if they can quite reach the peak right now of a team like LSU or Auburn that has won national titles or Georgia that's been to a national title game in recent years. They have the talent pool to get there. They think they have the coach with Steve Sarkeesian to get back up to that level. But for now, they have to prove it that they can get back there. And it's going to only be that much tougher in the SEC to win games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one more upset we had this weekend, the Holy War, as BYU upsets number 21, Utah, 26-17. to 17. Zach Wilson's gone, but no worries, as Jaron Hall comes in, completes just 18-30 to 30 for 149 yards, but three touchdown passes as BYU ends the, I think it was a nine-game losing streak they had to Utah in this rivalry. So good on Utah to get back up, replace their star quarterback who won in the first round, and uh, get back into a top 25 ranking. Yeah, you know, I've never heard it called that before. Uh, I'm mostly surprised, though, in this matchup behind uh, Utah's quarterback, Charlie Brewer, 15-26, 147 yards, touchdown, interception. Um, he's the kind of guy that, you know, he has the experience, played at Baylor. I would have expected more there. I don't know. I didn't watch this game, but uh, maybe there were some struggles with the receivers. TJ Pledger only had one carry for three yards, and, you know, it doesn't seem like he is going, obviously – doesn't seem like he's in the starting role, but you know, that's a name that I feel like we spoke about quite a bit last season. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like the team is, or, or like the uh, game is going the way uh, that Utah wanted here, but you know, there's always next week for uh, the Utes. And this is a, this is an exciting upset for BYU to be able to go in and uh, gain some steam as uh, their season commences or continues at two and zero. And then uh, finally, on a good note for the Pac-12, number 12, Oregon, upsets number three, Ohio State, 35-28. Oregon did this without their best player, Kayvon Thibodeau. They had a couple other players missing in this game. And this is Ohio State's first regular season loss since 2008 when they got blown out by Purdue uh, three years ago. That was before Brian Day was head coach. So this is Ryan Day's first loss end of the regular season as a head coach. Um, so we'll see how he and the team respond next week. CJ Stroud threw for 484 yards, three touchdowns and one interception. He had three receivers all go over 100 receiving yards in this game, but um, their defense could really not stop anyone. And this has been a theme for Ohio state. Now the last two years, now that they don't have that dominant pass rusher to uh, kind of anchor that defense. Yeah, absolutely. And and with this game too, you know, you look at their at their offensive performance. Um Wilson 
he looked great in the game as a receiver. I thought for a big part of the game, Oregon's defense just didn't know how to handle him. Whenever it came to the best receiver on the team, I expected the season to be all Olave all the time. Obviously, I, I knew Wilson was very talented as well, but I would say so far this season, Wilson has impressed me more. Uh, although I still think that Olave will probably be a first-round pick, and Wilson will too. But the, the player that excited me the most in this game, and Caleb, I texted you about him, I, I feel like, five, to- five, ten times, was C.J. Verdell, the running back from Oregon. I mean, holy cow. I have He's the most electric running back I have seen so far in this very, very short season of college football. You know, he had 20 carries for 161 yards. Every time he touched the ball, I thought this could be a home run hit. It reminded me a lot of Travis Etienne with how elusive he was uh, and – I don't want to say Saquon Barkley because I think Saquon is in a whole other category, but that is obviously my Penn State bias. Um, He had three receptions for 34 yards, one receiving. I thought Cristobal was smart. You know, put the ball in the hands of the guy that honestly Ohio State could not stop. And they did the smart thing too. They knew that Ohio State was tough up the middle. And so when the time was right, they took him outside and let him get into open space and just take off running. I mean, man, that guy is fast. Anthony Brown, phenomenal quarterback play. He used 11 different receivers, like I think you said. Uh, the The whole team, It. I mean, obviously it's football, but I feel like it's, it's needed to say here. It was a whole team effort, but C.J. Verdell did a lot of the uh, a lot of the heavy lifting there, if you would, to – to get the team in. I'm excited to see him this, uh, the rest of this season. He was, I mean, if you can't tell from my voice, he was awesome watching. Yeah, it was great. I love how they, uh, yeah, like you said, spread the ball out to 11 different receivers. Their five-star linebacker flow is expected to maybe be out for the season as well. He missed this game who, you know, he may be their second best defensive player on this team. Oregon lost the tight end Cam McCormick to a season-ending injury in this game. So Oregon was doing this depleted, but obviously they had some of their best offensive players with Anthony Brown and C.J. Verdell leading the way. And yeah, this is the biggest win for the Pac-12 that uh, in, in the last few years for that conference to maybe get them back into that college football playoff discussion. Yeah, and, and so, Kale, this is a way too early overreaction, but I want to I float the question out there anyway. Um, does this mean that it is conceivable that the Big Ten will not have a representative in the playoffs? Yeah, it could be. Um, uh, Iowa's looking good. We'll get to them shortly. Obviously, Penn State's looking good. Michigan's 2-0, even though they really haven't played anyone yet. So, yeah, like you said, it's early in the season, but when your best team loses a game early on in this in the year – they're the ones that's going to be given the most benefit of the doubt, but Ohio State loses one more game, and a couple other teams, every other team in the Big Ten loses a game or two. Yeah, this could be not great for for the Big Ten, but if Ohio State wins out, they'll most likely still be in the college football playoff. So, yeah. but they definitely have to get their act together, especially defensively. Unquestionably. Uh, like we just mentioned, Iowa in the Cyhawk game, beating Iowa State 27-17. Iowa State forced four turnovers in this game. Brees Hall had a fumble, and Brock Purdy threw three interceptions this game. He was benched eventually. And this is the second time in Iowa's history they've started with two consecutive wins against ranked teams. The other time was all the way back in 1960, and Iowa deservedly is back up into the top five or six in the rankings, depending on which poll you look at. 
yeah, Iowa played phenomenally in that game. Uh, and, you know, I am surely Corso. Is Luke Corso 2-0 and on headgear right now? I can't remember who he picked week one. Um, Quinn's yes, trying to tell I think us he answer. picked Georgia. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, this is uh, this is going well for for the old coach. Uh, I have been really disappointed with Brock Purdy the last uh, the last two seasons. You know, going into last season, I was really high on him. He went down, and now this season he is too. So, uh, rightfully so, benched, and I think that might be a decision that Campbell wants to think about for a while. My real question is, is Campbell – He's another name that was floated out there for the USC job. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll do that. But uh, if there's a gig in the NFL, I could totally see him if he if he can, uh, you know, kind of recover from this. Take it now. Whenever I say recover, like I don't think this was a uh, like I don't think this was like a grievous wound to the Cyclones because I was a phenomenal football team this season. Their defense is stout. Their offense can move the ball. But uh, it's definitely tough for Iowa State here, and they're going to have to, you know, do a, a lot of work to get back in the play for uh, Big Twelve. Yeah, for sure. Next up here, a close one. Number five, Texas A&M surviving against Colorado, ten to seven. Texas A&M's quarterback Haynes King left this game in the first quarter with a leg injury, and because of that, now he will miss multiple weeks of the season. So that's a big blow for Texas A&M as they um as Haynes King here is a, is a new starter for them this year. And backup Zach Calzada came in and he hit running back Isaiah Spiller for the game winning touchdown, which is two minutes and 41 seconds to go. And a big scare for Texas A&M, but um, will this just be written off as a quarterback injury and Texas A&M will be fine as long as they keep winning. I feel like that's inevitably what it's going to be. I mean, they did drop two spots in the polls, uh, and I do think that's a result of you know the level of competition they were against. Calzada looked good. Well, I'll say he looked okay in that game. What they got to do, and and I think Jimbo Fisher has to know this: just feed Spiller the ball. You got to give him more than eight carries. He was eight for twenty, and then he had six receptions for fifty-six. That's one thing. But feed him the ball on the ground, wear off that defense, and uh, you know rely on that. That way, you don't have to rely on the arm of uh of the quarterback right now, unless you really liked what you saw out of him, which. Again, he looked okay, um, 18 to 38, 183 yards and a touchdown. But I don't know if that's enough to to make me want to like not do any changes uh, at all to the offense. Yep. Another close game here for a top 10 team, Notre Dame escaping Toledo 32-29. Jack Cohn was benched in this game, came back, threw the game-winning touchdown, and this is after he dislocated his finger on a, on a couple plays before that throw on that game-winning touchdown. Their backup, their highly touted freshman, Tyler Buckner, came in. He threw a 55-yard touchdown on his first, and may, I think maybe only passing play of the game. He ran the ball a couple times as well. But um, yeah, Toledo took the lead late in this game. Then Notre Dame took the lead right back. And as a result of this, Notre Dame now has fallen in the standings a couple of spots. If you combine this three-point win with their three-point overtime win against Florida State, who lost to an FCS team this weekend, it is uh, not a great start for Notre Dame despite being 2-0. No, now, Caleb, I didn't really understand the what it was online because I didn't watch this game. Um, was Cohn benched because of a dislocated finger? or No, he was benched, I think, for poor play. He had a couple of interceptions in this game. Then they threw him back in the game, even though Buckner looked okay in his relief appearance. I guess they trusted Cone to go down and get the game-winning score. 
um, on a on a passing play. He yeah. hit the helmet. I forget if it was of an offensive lineman or defensive lineman. That's where he dislocated his finger. So he mm. ran over to the sideline. The trainer popped it back into place, and then a play or two later, he threw the game winning touchdown pass. What a man! Mm-hmm. What so a, you got to give him credit for that. Yeah, I guess I had looked at his. I guess I had looked at like some of the highlights and the stats. And I really hadn't seen much. Uh, could have also been so he was he, he had one pick minus like twenty four yards. I assume there's probably a fumble lost in there somewhere too. If you have that bad of rushing yards, um, or yeah, two fumbles lost. So lots of turnovers uh, to deal with there. And I don't know if this is just like Jack Cohn's not used to having the ball in his hands outside of like doing handoffs like he did at Wisconsin, but. Who do you think starts next week for Notre Dame? I'm guessing Cohen will start, but um, yeah, maybe they throw Buckner in for more plays, kind of like we've seen this weekend in the NFL with Trey Lance and Justin Fields getting some sure. gadget plays in there. Maybe Buckner starts to do some of those, and and who knows? Maybe he'll take over by the end of the season if Notre Dame doesn't start to improve. Yeah. Last close game here, number 22, Miami beating out Appalachian State 25-23. Their kicker, Andres Borgales, 43-yard field goal with two minutes, four seconds to go. Um, I'm guessing this is the brother. I think his brother, Jose Borgales, won the won the kicker award last year. So I'm guessing this is his younger brother now. And uh, But the play of the game, a cat, I don't know if you saw this, a cat yeah, fell yeah, yeah. from the upper deck. And some fans with their American flags, as it was the weekend of September 11th, had their American flags in the stands, caught the cat. Then they did the little Simba Simba thing with it, showed it up in the air to make to show that the cat was okay. Hopefully the cat got it. I don't know why a cat was in the stands in the first place. We've seen that, I guess, at uh, MetLife Stadium, the Giants, they had a black cat that yeah. kind of cursed them a couple of years ago. So I don't know if it's just a stray cat or if someone brought a pet cat into the game or what. But uh, good on the fans to catch that cat. Yeah, I feel like it had to have been just one, like a, like an alley cat that got in there. But uh, yeah, I was rooting for Appalachian State in this game. I really, really wanted them to pull this off and uh, get another big kind of upset game. I think this continues to state that we got to stop overrating Miami until they do something to earn it. Like, don't stop putting them in the top 20. I mean, honestly, don't even put them in the top 25 until they've started to start to win some meaningful games. And uh, like you, Caleb, you and I know, and and somebody that listens to our podcast that really likes college football knows Appalachian State, even besides whenever they upset Michigan, what was that, like almost 15, 20 years ago? Um, you know, Appalachian State's still a good team. They've still won a lot of big games. They've been ranked multiple times since then. But if, my, if Miami has all this talent, like they keep talking about, and if Miami's really back... Uh, you should be able to put those games away, no question. Now, you brought up the American flag and it being the weekend of September 11th, and I do want to encourage, if you are listening to this podcast and you have not seen, check out the Army game and the team running out. That moment gave me absolute chills in a very awesome way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was their way of of honoring the 20th anniversary of of one one of, if not the biggest tragedy in American history. Uh, is definitely something worth checking out. Yep. I think Navy and Air Force did a similar thing as they played each other this weekend. So gotcha, you can gotcha. probably check out that as well. Yeah. Check it all. 
All right, let's move into the Big Ten conference games. Awesome. First off, my upset pick did not go well as Illinois is blown out by Virginia 42-14. Virginia's quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, 405 yards, five touchdown passes in this one. And Illinois has not done anything well since they beat Nebraska in week zero. Yeah, they uh, they are definitely struggling, but I feel like that is just a general um, – I feel like that is a general state of being for the fighting Illini in uh, the current age. Brennan Armstrong's a junior. He has played well in the past, and so this doesn't surprise me a, a huge deal. He, yeah, I would have expected the Cavaliers, if this was going to be a, a close game, I would have expected Virginia to win. Uh, I did not expect this to be a blowout, though. So to my friends that are uh, UVA alum and who – just root for the Cavs in general. Let me just say, wahoo! Next up, number eighteen, Wisconsin rebounds to crush Eastern Washington, thirty-four to seven. Four different players from Wisconsin had a rushing touchdown this game, so they did not rely on Chaz Malusi quite as much in this one as they were able to spread the ball around. Do you think that was their takeaway from the Penn State game that they needed to spread the ball around more? I didn't really think that was an issue for them against Penn State, but maybe they saw that and, and thought, "Hey, if we give more runners the ball." You know, we're more unpredictable. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe it was just they knew it was a weaker opponent, so they were trying to get some rest in for their players after giving Malusi, what was it, 30 carries in that game. Maybe they Something wanted like to that. ease that down. They didn't want him to have, you know, approaching 350 to 400 carries on the season. Right. Michigan State continued their star strong start to the season, beating Youngstown State 42-14. to their receiver, Jaden Reed, four catches, 181 yards, two touchdowns. He had a 75-yard catch on the first play of the game, and that's after Michigan State had a 75-yard rushing touchdown on the first play of the game in their first game. So watch out for Michigan State on the first play of the game this year. Yeah, and watch out for Jaden Reed. He is a he's a talented wide receiver. Uh, Caleb, I have a feeling this will not be the last time we talk about him in a Big Ten game. No, probably not. Next up, Rutgers went in a defensive battle over Syracuse 17-7. This game, like Penn State, was tied 0-0 in the first half. So um, Syracuse was actually playing the better first half of football, but they couldn't score against Rutgers, and then Rutgers was able to pull it out in the second half. Yeah, and Rutgers starts the season off 2-0 after a win over Temple last week. Syracuse now played Delaware, so I assume they'll go 3-0 from there. Uh, it could be conceivable. I wouldn't be surprised if they would even consider if Rutgers wins by a lot and Michigan continues to do well, if they'd consider flexing. I don't know what the games are that week, but if they consider flexing uh, Rutgers-Michigan into a night game just to kind of rile up some fan bases. Yeah, it could be. Purdue shut out UConn 49 nothing. Not too surprising there after UConn fired their head coach last week. Yeah. Maryland shut out Howard 62 nothing nothing really to see there. Northwestern gets their first win of the season against Indiana State 24 to 6. Nebraska back-to-back wins this time beating Buffalo 28 to 3 and Indiana also gets their first win of the year as they crush Idaho 56 to 14. So a pretty good week all around for the Big 10. Yeah, so that's a that's a good one to see kill my uh my super underdog, super ultra mega underdog whatever we're- Whatever we finally end up calling it, and maybe, you know, your wife came up with the idea to call our picks who you got, so maybe she can think of a, a name for us for this, but uh, my pick was Buffalo over Nebraska, and so clearly didn't go well. No, but uh, let's get into the Penn State, the final Big Ten game of the weekend. 
Yeah, let's talk about it. You know, this was an awesome game. Number nine, Penn State defeats reigning MAC champion Ball State 44 to 13. And for the second time this season, and as a reminder, we've only played two games, we had no turnovers. Caleb, what are you going to attribute the the lack of uh, of turnover commitment by our offense to? Um, I think Sean Clifford's just playing a little bit better right now. Mm-hmm. He's, um, I don't think, yeah, he's not taking too many risks. He's, he's not doing great on every pass. He's, you know, he has some overthrows. He has some underthrows. So he's probably put up some opportunities for interceptions in the past, but he's getting the ball out. He's, mm-hmm. I think he's only been sacked once in the two games so far. So not really too many fumble opportunities, which is great to see, but, um, and I'm sure he'll throw an interception at some point this season because pretty much every quarterback does. But I think he's doing a, an attic, uh, above average job of keeping the ball um, mistake-free so far. Yeah, and after being really frustrated with his play last week, this week I felt like we saw a lot more of the like origin of the OG uh, Sean Clifford. You know, he was 21 to 29, 230 yards, one touchdown, and then 11 rushes, 66 yards, and then he had that. Uh, other touchdown run looked him looked really good minus the overthrows, which is an issue that has plagued him his entire playing career. Uh, but you know, you and I and and the people that follow us on Twitter at CPFB Podcast have all been wondering like, when's Roberson going to get in? Get in? We're up by a lot. Like, where's Roberson? And they did eventually put Roberson in, and he threw his first career touchdown pass. Caleb, are you surprised though that it took them until the fourth quarter to put in the backups? Yeah, it was really weird. I thought because um, we got the ball what, late in the third quarter in a drive that pushed into the fourth quarter, and then mm-hmm. Ball State had a pretty long drive. So Roberson didn't end up getting in until, what, seven minutes to go in the game or something, something like, that. like that. So I don't know. To me, this doesn't inspire great confidence in Roberson right now. Yeah. And if you follow the high school ranks at all, Drew Aller, our top uh, prized quarterback recruit coming in next year, hopefully – Threw for 500 yards and five touchdowns this season. So if I was a betting man right now, and maybe I put my money on Drew Aller being the starting quarterback for Penn State next season, assuming Sean Clifford is gone. That's what I'm. That's where my guess is as well. Uh, on the ground, we had a much more successful day rushing this week than last. Noah Kane at 20 carries, 69 yards, one touchdown, uh, which doesn't sound like super impressive. You know, only like three yards a carry. But we also had Kevon Lee, who honestly, there was one drive where all they needed to do was just feed him, feed him, feed him. And eventually they stopped, and that was their mistake. But he was 8 for 68 yards. And it was how many first downs in a row, Caleb, that he earned? Three or four. Yeah, so just 11 yard, 11 yard, 11. It was awesome. Devin Ford, product of Virginia Beach area, six carries for 32 yards. And then Jahan Dotson had, what uh, I think it was a jet sweep. Kaziah mm-hmm. Holmes also had a rushing attempt as well. Uh, run game looked better to, or looked better on Saturday, Caleb. Yeah, definitely did. I especially liked early on in the game where they were just rotating backs in left and right. Mm-hmm. It seemed like in the past we had one back do one drive, another back do the next drive, something like that, which is fine. But I liked that this time they were going in, switching the players, Kane getting a couple plays, Lee getting a couple plays, Ford getting a couple plays. It seemed to really work for the offense this time around. Yeah. And – you know, I think it's important to note too. Like this isn't an Alabama State type team. This is this is a team that went in and won the MAC last year. And you know, even though the MAC isn't one of the Power Five conferences, they still have a lot of talent. They've won some games that they that people counted them out of. 
And so uh, this was a good win for us to win so decisively, especially after a close Wisconsin game. It's nice to be able to kind of relax a little bit. Penn State could have very easily overlooked this game and been looking ahead at uh, at looking ahead at the Auburn game, but they didn't. They did a nice job varying up formations on offense, a lot of diverse play calls. There was a three tight end set, and really a lot of skilled position players got in there, and I'm all about getting them the snaps they need so that whenever we're in those tight games against like an Ohio State or uh, in Iowa, we have the opportunity to send in players that have depth if something happens and we need to switch some players in and out. Yep. Ten different receivers caught the ball, which is great. Just like we said with Oregon, spreading the ball around was good. Although it did seem to want to feed dots in, especially early on in the first quarter in this game, which I like to see. Get your ball into your best playmakers. And then when we kind of got up, you can spread the ball around a little bit more. Parker Washington, six catches. And then Theo Johnson catching that touchdown from Roberson was cool to see. Yeah, I am surprised that they aren't using Washington more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of his speed, I feel like using those jet sweeps and stuff, if you do it with him and with Dotson, you just add another, you add another wrinkle to your offense. Um, maybe, maybe that's in the plan, and they just haven't opened up all the playbook yet. But it just feels like after Dotson, Washington's going to be the next dude at Penn State, and so I think you can trust him with those things. Theo Johnson had a good touchdown grab uh, that that Roberson tossed to him. So uh, it again looks like we're going to be fine at the tight end position. I'm not sure if he'll be like a Pat Fryermuth. Mike Gesicki level tight end, but it could happen. Yep. And I'm sure you like, you'll like this. You you like the varied formations we had in this game. We had a three mm-hmm. tight end set at one point going under center. Sean Clifford with the quarterback sneak on his touchdown around. So I'm sure Mike Yersich is playing to the fan base there, getting all, all these different formations into the playbook. Yeah. And, you know, again, all these commentators who have said things like, I don't understand why they, you know, why they're getting so upset that we only take snaps out of the shotgun. This game is is a good reason of why we were getting upset in the past. They did that. Yursich called some of those plays, like you said, you know, the the quarterback sneak and others, where in the past we would have taken it out of the shotgun and Clifford would have gotten tackled behind the line for a two-yard loss, whereas instead, at the very least, he was just going to be held up there, but he wasn't. Uh, on the defensive side of the football, saw a lot of impressive things as well. Defense comes up with two turnovers. Jesse Luketa with a pick six and you know, everybody's saying, Oh look, he's a defensive end. Like everybody's not a Penn state fan saying, Oh look, the, the big guy, a defensive end, the pick six. Well, yeah, he's a defensive end. Now he used to be like the line linebacker of that mm-hmm. core. So he's got hands and uh, it was a good pick six. It kind of, at that point, in case you, that's where the momentum really, really swung in our direction. I would yeah. say we had it the entire game, but Lucetta getting the pick six just kind of, I, I guess I should almost say put the nail in the coffin, but uh, maybe not Hardy with a great interception, well-timed, helping us uh, helping us shut down a, another Ball State drive. And Curtis Jacobs with the only sack. I mean, really my only beef from the defense in this game because I'm not even mad about the 13 points that were given up because that was all second and third stringers and they got the snaps they needed I would like to see more pass rush Mm -hmm. or I'd like to see us get to the quarterback more get some more QB hits hurries and stuff but for now you know I'll take what I can get I'll take a I'll take a big win and a pick six there by the defense yeah I like that um in this game kind of like on the offensive side we were rotating players out 
in and out a lot. Jaquan Brisker got to sit out most of this game, rest up for the bigger games ahead after all the mm-hmm. cramping and leaving the game a lot last week against Wisconsin. Sutherland was in for Brisker one drive, in for Jair Brown another drive. We saw Daquan Hardy get a good amount of playing time in this one. Um, Kalen King, the true freshman quarterback, got some good amount of playing time despite being the third or fourth cornerback on the depth chart. So it was good to see a lot of rotations in there. Um, and, uh, you know, get guys playing experience and get guys rested for the more meteor part of the schedule coming up. Yeah. Joey Porter Jr. again, proving why he's such a dominant defensive back, getting good tackles, providing excellent coverage. Kalen King was called for what might have been the softest pass interference I think I've ever seen, Caleb. <laughs> Yeah, I think he'll learn um, as time goes on what he can and can't do and can and can't get away with with pass interference at the college level as opposed to the high school level. But um, yeah, it's good to see. Um, he definitely seems to be the next great Penn State cornerback as we seem to be churning those out a little bit more now. Yeah, he was he was great to watch. I have a lot of optimism toward his future. Uh, Tyler Rudolph was ejected for a targeting call. He's going to miss the first half of the Auburn game. <sighs> I still think that there should be a tiered system like they used to do with face mask killed. Yeah. Um, they were talking about that with, uh, I think Dean Blandino on the game. And it says that's mm-hmm. there's something that they're always kind of having discussions about. It doesn't seem like anything's imminent on the call, but maybe if we get one or two high profile ejections, even though I guess we had some in the playoffs with uh, James Scalsey and Clemson last year. Maybe if we get one or two more of the high profile ejections that are more, you know, borderline, maybe that's something that'll become more of a talking point and something that they'll get a tiering system in for. And, you know, targeting is always going to be that 15 yard penalty, which is fine, but yeah, get rid of the ejections on ones that aren't intent. Like this one clearly wasn't right. Games. Offense and defense matters, but there are many who say that special teams is the deciding factor. I don't know how much I agree with that, but what I do know is that we've got a great special teams player, George Stout, front of the show. Three for four on field goals. He made one from 45, one from 26, one from 22, and missed his 45-yarder. Uh, but he had three punts for 51.3 yards. I mean, if this guy is not a Ray Guy finalist at the end of the season, what on earth is the NCAA thinking, or what is the Ray Guy committee thinking? I'm a little concerned because now Stout's missed multiple kicks and he's been, you know, pretty solid in the past with them whenever he just had that in kickoff duty. I mean, Caleb, what do, what do you think it is? Is he getting inside his head? Is you know, his leg is tired from, you know, absolutely destroying footballs? What is it? Yeah, maybe on that field goal, he just thought it was a kickoff or something. The ones he boots <laughs> constantly out of the end zone because he pulled that one pretty bad as missed 45 yard field goal. So, yeah, maybe, yeah, I don't know, just maybe yeah, ease up on him a little bit. Although, you know, I guess seven kicks plus the kickoffs, which are a decent amount of kickoffs, yeah. is quite a bit. But I read he's second in the nation right now in punting average. So, yeah, he's off to a great start for punting. And maybe that's his future in the NFL as a punter more than a kicker. I hope so. You know, he's, he's a very talented player. Great transfer from Virginia Tech and uh, excited to see his, his career continue to play out. On the coaching front, you know, we did see a lot more variety, like like you had said, Caleb, earlier. Um, and we've talked about Roberson, how we thought he should have been injected earlier into the game. But we had three players that did not play, and there is no explanation for it. Ellis, Lovett, and Beeman. Caleb, I feel like my guess for Lovett would be maybe he just doesn't have the playbook down, and so they're saying you're not going to get to play with that. 
I'm not sure about Ellis and Beeman, though. Yeah, Lovett, uh, there was video, I think, going around that um, Lovett was doing the practice or the scout team for Ball State this past week. So, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. he's just that far down on the depth chart. Maybe, like you said, from learning the playbook, maybe just the other four running backs that have been there since the, since at least last season have just played better than him and better than, you know, maybe they mm-hmm. expected them to play um, on the season so far. Beeman, it kind of seems like it's – just some sort of miscommunication with him and what position he's supposed to play and what weight he's supposed to be at. He was like all over the map on weight during the off season. I don't know if they wanted him to be interior defensive lineman and he wanted to play more of an edge rusher or vice versa, but something's going on with that. And yeah, I'm not really sure at all with Keaton Ellis. You would think, I know we have some great secondary pieces out there, but Keaton Ellis is definitely one of those as well. You think he'd be getting some playing time if everything was right with him. Well, especially compared to like Jonathan Sutherland, who like I I still like, I want to like him. But whenever I saw defensive miscues in this game, who was usually the one who was, was at fault, felt like it was Sutherland more frequently than not. And so I do. I think Ellis is better than Sutherland. I, I don't know, though. I don't know, Caleb. But what I do know is that I loved the variety of play calling on the offense. Loved it. It was awesome. Made for a fun offense to watch. And I think in the long run, it can be a potentially lethal offense as well. Whenever I had heard that your was more of an air raid guy, I was nervous that we were going to give up on the run game. And after the first week, I was even more nervous about that, but I was excited to see a commitment this week to help us stay balanced. And I am, I am convinced that this defense is again, going to be one of those top five defenses in the country. They, they look great on all three levels. Uh, and so, I, I cannot wait to see what it's going to look like against Auburn uh, this weekend. How about you? Yeah, I like that. We did not overlook this team. It's a good team, a team that you can easily though overlook coming off a big emotional win against Wisconsin last week. You got Auburn, a ranked SEC opponent, coming up the next week. So it's a team you could have easily overlooked. So good job by the coaching staff and the players staying focused on Ball State this week, a good Ball State team, and being able to beat them pretty easily. Great having fans back in the stadium at Beaver Stadium this weekend. You know, having 100,000 fans there. They're saying it's the mm-hmm. second largest crowd Ball State's ever played in front of. So that was must have been cool for a lot of the those players there. And like we've been, I've been mentioning, it was just great to see the depth rotate around on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, getting everyone in some action this early in the season because, you know, injuries are going to hit at some point. Players are going to regress and progress and get better and worse. And so it's great to just be able to use our depth right now and hopefully be able to be a better team as we move on throughout the season. Yeah. And so whenever I look at this game and, and I take away from it, you know, who played well and, and so on. And I think of a most valuable player. I do have to think in this game, I am typically very critical of him, but Sean Clifford, I think was incredibly important to this win. Did a great job, not turning the ball over. He made some good throws. Yes. Did he have some overthrows and, and some plays that were not terrific? Uh, absolutely. But I felt like his impact on the offense, helping to keep the ball moving. He made some wise decisions with throwing it to, different targets, making his reads, uh, did a nice job scrambling a little bit and, and moving around. Like He looked good. And I think that if he has a game, I think that if he plays like this the rest of the season, I think we're going to be totally fine, ju- more than okay. Um, and I, I think we can compete with 
some much higher ranked teams like a team in Iowa. How about you, Kelb? Who's your MVP this week? Yeah, this was a good just overall team victory. There mm-hmm. weren't it wasn't like one or two standout players in this one. So I'll give it to Jesse Lucetta. He's been very unselfish switching over to defensive end edge rusher a lot of the time this season, in addition to playing some linebacker and just that great one handed pick six from him looked like a freak athlete out there. <laughs> we mentioned his hops in the previous week against Wisconsin, forcing a bad throw from Mertz. This time he gets the interception and gets to return it for a touchdown. And like you said, put it kind of put the nail in the coffin in this game. So I'll give it to Jesse Lucetta in this one. Maybe he was working with Odafe Owe to get his athleticism in. Yeah, first um, career sack for Owe this weekend for Baltimore. Yeah, that was awesome. So whenever we look at the ranks, uh, Penn State has moved up to number 10 in the AP poll, number 12 in the coaches. And this weekend, 7.30 p.m. on ABC, Penn State versus number 22, Auburn. This should be a great game. Uh, game day obviously thinks so because they're going to be in Happy Valley for our whiteout. This series is all-time tied at 1-1, one and one, which surprised me that those two teams, considering how historic they are, haven't played more uh, like, you know, 5-10 times. But PSU won back in 96, and Auburn won in 2003. This should be a, a fun game to watch. Uh, I know that I am already stressed out, but like a fun kind of stressed out thinking about it, and uh, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I was reading something today. It's just that for whatever reason, SEC teams don't travel to Big Ten teams to play in the Big Ten for whatever reason. Alabama played at Penn State about Mm -hmm. two decades ago. Auburn last played at a Big Ten team against Wisconsin in like the 40s or something like that. So for whatever reason, SEC teams just don't like to travel north. Maybe they're just afraid of the snow or something. Yeah, I think even like Trent Richardson's Bama team played Penn State in I. can't remember if that was yeah maybe there. it was 09 or something was when Alabama came up and played Penn State yeah I couldn't remember yeah I think that may have been the last time an SEC team came up to play a Big Ten team it's it's, it's not very often occurrence yeah because I don't even think with like Ohio State and and like we're not talking playoffs we're talking yeah for like regular season stuff mm. well homework for us for another time in the meantime, Caleb, we got some picks, and we got who you got. Yep, who you got. Not a great week for us. You went four and four. I went three and five. We both have nine correct on the season, so we're tied. And I was looking back. I made a little spreadsheet. We are tied all time for correct picks. Whoa! Throughout our, you know, our two plus seasons here, going into our third season. So this could be a big season to see if someone separates from one another. Most likely will probably just be a a point or two away at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, I want to get to the point where our picks get us in a position where on college game day, when it comes to Happy Valley, they're calling up the Caleb and Phil football podcast to come make some picks. So let's do it, man. Yeah. Let's start out with our underdog pick. Must be at least a 10 point underdog in the game. Phil, who you taking? I like Tulane. I think they're a tough team. We've seen them play tough this season already. They're going up against Ole Miss, and they're a 14-point underdog. But I can totally see Ole Miss underperforming. It's like a Lane Kiffin staple trademark. The fact that they've been like kind of okay this season is already a shock to me. And uh, I can definitely see Tulane taking them down. So give me, a, give me Tulane over Ole Miss. 
I'm going with a team you've already picked this year, Temple over Boston College. Boston College is a 16-point favorite despite their quarterback, Phil Yurkovich, out for the season. Mm-hmm. Some people thought Boston College might be the biggest test for Clemson this year part because how they played last year, especially their quarterback, Phil Yurkovich, but he is now out for the season. So we'll see if this is a big blow for them. I can't believe they're, they must've been, you know, at least a 20 point favorite going in before this. So I think Temple has a chance to keep this maybe a low scoring game for, for this game and hopefully be able to pull the upset for me. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, now, as we get down to our regular season or to our other games, uh, we got Minnesota at Colorado. Colorado is a two-point favorite in this game, and they are 3-0 and all-time versus Minnesota. Last time playing in 1992, so that's 29 years ago. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, this line feels like an overreaction to how Colorado played Texas A&M last week. I don't really think Colorado's that good. Minnesota played Ohio State pretty tough, then got a win last week, and I think they'll continue that with this week. And I think they're going to beat Colorado pretty easily by at least a touchdown. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, I I think they are overestimating the. I, I think like like you said, they're overestimating Colorado's ability, and they're pairing that with you know Minnesota losing their top running back, but I don't think, and, and with that overestimation, I think they're going to be surprised whenever Minnesota wins. I, I can see Minnesota winning this by like 10, 12 or 10, 14 points. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Next up, we got Nevada, a two and a half point favorite at Kansas state. Kansas state will be missing their quarterback, Skylar Thompson. who He's the next quarterback who I feel like has been at his school forever. He mm-hmm. is out for the season with a knee injury. Will Howard will come in and play in his place. Phil, who you got? Man, before I saw that Skylar Thompson was out, I was thinking, oh, Kansas State's got this game in the bag. But no, Uh, without Skylar Thompson, Kansas State has shown that they are not as effective. And so give me Nevada in this game to to win it. And uh, I think the spread's pretty appropriate. I think they'll keep it close, but Skylar Thompson's the difference maker for that offense. So I'm not going to be shocked if it's like a low scoring Nevada win game. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, Nevada's definitely got the better quarterback now with Carson Strong. Nevada was one of those teams that was pretty good last year. People kind of forget about it with the COVID season. They had a good season, and I think that'll continue now with their uh, road victory over Kansas State. Yeah, could be the best quarterback since Kaepernick that played there. Mm -hmm. Or not Kaepernick. uh, Well, yeah, Kaepernick was there. Um, next up, we got Michigan State at number 24, Miami. Miami is a maybe a touchdown favorite in this one. Maybe it's because they've never lost to Michigan State. They're 4-0 all time. Phil, who you got? Miami is overrated. I don't understand why or how they're a 6.5-point favorite there. I think Michigan State has opened the season up well. I think they're going to go to Miami, and I think maybe finally they will expose Miami Obviously not for all time, because I'm sure next season they will be overranked, but maybe at least for the season. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'm taking Michigan State as well. I don't, they haven't really played it. I mean, they, they played Northwestern week one. It remains to be seen how good Northwestern is, but I've been impressed by Michigan State so far. I thought it was going to take them a long time to get this rebuild. I think um, maybe it's been a little faster than I've expected here, and I expect that to continue this weekend with an upset over a ranked Miami team. Next game, we got the highest-ranked team in Ohio, which we know is number eight, Cincinnati. Three-and-a-half-point favorite at Indiana. Indiana has won the last five meetings, haven't lost since 1957. Caleb, who you got? 
Uh, this is a tough one for me, but I can't get my images, the images out of Indiana really blowing it that opening weekend against Iowa. So I think Cincinnati, despite a slow start against um, Murray State last week, I think they're going to they were kind of looking ahead to this game. I think they'll be ready for this game, and I think they're going to beat Indiana. And I don't think they're going to make it into the top four of the college football playoff rankings this year. But for now, they still have that hope. So I think that hope is going to push them to victory here. Phil, who you got? You know, Luke Fickle, maybe the conversation on the USC job gets into the team's head, but like you, I can't I can't forget the opening weekend that Indiana had. If I would have if they would have just played this past weekend, I probably would have picked them in a major upset here, but can't do it. I like Cincinnati. Next up we got number fifteen, Virginia Tech at West Virginia. West Virginia is a three-point favorite. It's a pretty play often played game as West Virginia leads all time 28-23 and one. Virginia Tech has won the last three meetings, though. Phil, who you got? I got lots of friends that have gone to both schools, and uh usually I make fun of my friends that went to Virginia Tech, which is surprising because you know West Virginia is West Virginia and all. But uh yeah, in this game, I like Virginia Tech. I'm surprised that West Virginia is the favorite because their offense doesn't seem to to really be rolling yet. They they haven't been getting the ball into the hands of their playmakers. Daggy is okay at quarterback, but nothing like super spectacular. So give me Virginia Tech. Caleb, who you got? I don't think Virginia Tech is the 15th best team in the country, Agreed. but I think they're better than West Virginia, even on the road here in this, I guess, quasi-rivalry game. So I will take Virginia Tech in this one in a close one. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, and and not quasi. This is a this is a straight up rivalry if you live in okay. the, if you live in Virginia and, and West Virginia. Uh, being a resident of Virginia, of course. <laughs> good to know, good to know. Yeah, I didn't know. 50 games is cut is close. Yeah. Um, next up, we got number 19, Arizona State, a three-point favorite at number 23, BYU. Arizona State leads this one all-time 20-9, to but they have not played since 1998, so no recent history here. Phil, who you got? Yeah, this was a tough one for me, uh, especially because, you know, BYU, um, like I, I typically, whenever they lose a phenomenal quarterback like a Zach Wilson or whatever, I just... I, I struggle to want to pick them in the future, but BYU had a good game this past weekend, man. They, they played well in uh, up and against Utah. They upset them. So I, uh, I'm going with the underdog. I'm going with BYU. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, this is a tough one for me too. I hate to go against BYU for a second week in a row, but I'm going to do what I'm going to go with Herm Edwards down there in Arizona state. Uh, haven't got a lot of publicity, you know, ranked number 19 feels like we haven't really heard much about them so far this year. And I think that changes this weekend as they beat BYU. Yeah, this will be Arizona State's first real test in, in comparison. I feel like BYU has had tougher opponents, but, you know, obviously if I got to pick coaches, I'm always going to pick Herm Edwards. Uh, next game we got here, number one in the nation, Alabama, a 15 and a half point favorite at number 13, Florida. Bama's won the last seven meetings. Caleb, who you got? <laughs> Yeah, I'm taking Alabama. I know Florida's 2-0, two relatively easy wins, but they're against, I think, FAU and USF. Yeah. Um, Emory Jones, I think, has four turnovers in the two those two games. So even though they're blowing these teams out, quarterback play hasn't been very good. And if you turn the ball over against Alabama, uh, your game is over. So I think Alabama's going to blow out this one by probably by three touchdowns or more. Phil, who you got? Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's just a Florida thing whenever it comes to teams being overrated, overranked. 
I don't think this is going to be a close game either. I can see the I can see Bama winning this by like 30 points or something. So give me Bama. And finally, game of the week, number 22, Auburn at number 10, Penn State. Penn State, six-point favorite in this one. Auburn, 2-0 in the season, but their wins are against Akron and Alabama State. Not Alabama. Uh, Phil, who you got? Yeah, uh, Bo Nix is finally looking like he's playing well, but like you said, their competition has been Akron and Alabama, so not exactly the uh, preeminent defenses like a Wisconsin uh, that we have had this past season or this past uh, two weeks ago. This is going to be a good game. I think our defense, you know, will slow down Auburn. Um, I think it'll be a tough challenge, but I think we're up for it. I think Clifford can can do well against the defense. I am predicting we'll probably have our first turnover in this game, and that's okay because at the end of the day, in this tight game, I like the odds. I think we have more playmakers, and I think Penn State wins this close one, 24-20. Caleb, who you got? I'm taking Penn State as well. I'm going 24-13. Pretty low-scoring game here. Um, like you said, Bonex is playing pretty well. Like you said, against two much inferior teams. I think he only has five or six rushing attempts on the year. So mm. it seems like they're trying to rein him in. But I'm guessing in a big game against some, hopefully some actual pressure against him, I think he might return to his old form, try to scramble a little bit more, get on the run a little bit more. And I think we're going to force him into two or three turnovers in this game and hold on for the victory for about a 10-point victory. I think it'll be pretty close in the game, maybe Maybe the score doesn't quite indicate how close it was, but I think Penn State will move to three now. I like the sound of that. You know, this would be a big win for us to pull one over on the SEC and uh, definitely something exciting for sure. Well, hey, folks, want to go ahead and take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. You know, we're a couple amateur amateurs. Uh, we're buddies from college who just really enjoy college football and have decided that rather than making our wives listen to us talk about college football all the time, we would just host a podcast about it. And so, uh, again, thank you for taking some time to listen. We would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. That way, anytime new episodes come out, you can be sure to get notified. And if you got a second, you can go on to Apple Podcasts and drop us a rating. You know, we would love to, to get some more ratings. That way, our podcast can be shared with more people and we can share the conversation and love college football and specifically Penn State college football with others. Feel free to connect with us on Twitter. We love talking, especially on game days at CPFB podcast. And, uh, you know, I know that I'm usually uh, just tweeting up a storm on Saturdays. And I always enjoy whenever Caleb jumps into and, and has some and continues the conversations with uh, others. So be sure to connect with us. We're, we're big fans. Caleb, any final words of wisdom before we sign off? Go Penn State. We are. <laughs>